working in different environments as an architect is a great thing to do because you're always kind of picking up new seeds of knowledge and new cultural frameworks, um, understanding differences in cities and mm. um, place and people. And I think that's so important as an architect. The fourth episode of The Business of Architecture and Design is hosted by Isabel Tolland, director of Aileen Sage Architects, a practice she and Amelia Holiday established as their alter ego. Isabel is a highly sought-after speaker and thought leader and will be a regular host of the Business of Architecture and Design podcast. We'd like to thank our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, and our supporting partner, Total Synergy. For this episode of the series, Isabel talks to the co-CEO of BVN and one of the few female partners in a major architectural practice in Australia. A leader in the digital innovation space, Ninochka Tichkowski is also the co-founder of the research sharing platform Robots in Architecture and Construction Australia. And now, over to Isabel. Co-CEO at BVN, Ninochka Tichkowski, has over 25 years' experience leading major architectural projects and has a passion for industry research that drives innovation and technology in the industry. Ninochka is leading BVN's research into robotics and is co-founder of Robots in Architecture and Construction Australia. BVN has offices in Sydney, Brisbane, New York and London. We're delighted to have Ninochka here with us in the studio. Welcome, Ninochka. Thanks, Isabel. Great to be here. Perhaps if we could start with you telling us a bit about your background, where were you born and what your family was like growing up? Well, I was uh, born in Sydney quite a while ago now, Um, but I came from a family of five kids. My uh, mother was quite entrepreneurial and I think maybe that's something that's rubbed off on me a little. And my dad was a pilot for Qantas. Um, So probably gave me a bit of a knack for travel as well and and exploring the world. But I grew up on the North Shore, uh, went to a Ravenswood, which was in yeah. Gordon. and uh, Did you? <laughs> yeah. Primary school. Go see. All, all good women come out of Ravenswood. Yeah. Um, and so I probably had a fairly classic um, middle-class background, I suppose. And so when do you think that you realised you wanted to study architecture and what was it that drew you to this profession? Mm, well, I often get asked this question and I have to say I don't sort of have that seminal moment that some people have where, um, you know, something occurred and it was sort of, sort of an immediate twig to them that this was what their kind of life's calling was. But I do think that, you know, we travelled a lot when we were young and we spent a lot of time exploring different cities and cultures. My family itself is kind of a mixed up sort of cultural family. My my mum is in fact, um, she's German but she now lives in Switzerland but right. her mother was French and her father was Russian and right. my dad is in fact Canadian but his family originated from Prussia. So we're quite, um, we are quite mixed. And what (laughs) generationally, when did they move to Australia? Uh, Well, they both moved in about the 60s and they met here. So my dad came over from Canada from, he was in the Canadian Air Force and he got recruited by Qantas to come over when they were growing the commercial airline. And then my mum just journeyed out into the never-never from um, Europe and came by New Zealand to Australia and landed here and stayed most of our childhood. And then eventually, once we all left home, she decided to go and live back in Switzerland. Right. Yeah. 
And are your siblings, do you have any siblings? I do. I have one brother and uh, three sisters, so there's five of us all together. Oh, wow. Yeah. And are they in any associated profession? Uh, they are. Well, they are, yes. My um, So my older sister, who she actually lives in Zurich, she started in, uh, in beauty therapy and now she does property development with her um, partner, but she's actually incredibly good at styling. Yeah. And then my second older sister lives on a farm in central New South Wales, but she's also quite creative as well. Um, the sister just above me, Sasha, has a furniture design business, Cosquela, right. with oh, her yeah. um, her husband, Russell. Uh-huh. And then my poor brother is the only one that lacked the creative edge and he's in finance. And he, uh-huh. <laughs> but also he's, useful. But <laughs> interestingly, he's now migrated into property and he works uh-huh. with, uh, he's a managing director for a big American fund here. Right. So... Yeah, so he's found his, and he actually has a very strong passion for real estate and property. So we've all got traits. And where did you study architecture? So I studied at Sydney University and uh, for my entire degree, actually. And But I had a year off in between where um, it was during the recession and we were all supposed to go and the original intent is you go away and you work for a year within practice, but there were no jobs. So we all went travelling and... I think I spent most of my time in London working in a bar and um, I ended up writing my mini thesis on bars and restaurants in London (laughs) (laughs) because that was most of my experience of that year. Yeah, I had a great time actually at Sydney University and that was where I met um, a lot of people, including Lawrence Neild, who's one of the founding partners of Blyball and Neild, Mm -hmm. which later became BBN and some other mentors of mine as well. Um, So do you think then that what you studied has influenced how you practice architecture now professionally? I mean, I think it gave, Sydney Uni gave us a great grounding for how we think about architecture. Um, But I do recall some very specific conversations at university where uh, I was like, I'm sick of talking about Louis Kahn and Corbusier, you know, stop putting everything into a box. What yeah. about thinking outside of the box? And so I remember even in university pushing back on our uh, our tutors who had a very much a sort of a, um, a, a lineage of thought that followed the pathways of Louis Kahn and Le Corbusier and so on. And um, I remember trying to push out from that and that was difficult even at that time. Certainly the connections that I made at university university and I have amazing lifelong friends from university and we've all found ourselves in various places. One of my good friends, Rainy Otter, is the head of Fraser's Property for Commercial and Industrial. Another Mm -hmm. one, Carl Shabrowski, is head of development for Brookfield. I've got friends who are now running their own businesses and illustrators and so on. So actually everyone, I think we had a really great year and Mm. everyone from our year has sort of gone off and migrated and done really fantastic things. That's great. And did you have, was there much kind of cross-pollination between years actually at university? I was at Sydney University too and I remember it was kind of one of the last years where I felt like actually the full six years did kind of communicate with each other. Was it that Yeah, we did actually. I mean, I do remember arriving at in first year and sort of looking at the six years going, oh, my God, look how mature they are and they're so, you know, they're already on their path to being an architect and we felt so green. But, um, yes, you did actually know everyone within the school back then, which was really nice. And you mentioned some mentors that you kind of <coughs> developed or um, have grown to be mentors since that time at Sydney Uni. Could you talk a bit about those mentors? The primary one, in fact, was Lawrence Neild. Mm. And so Lawrence was our 
professor for final year of architecture school, was always a really great supporter of mine, actually. Lawrence Neal, Richard Francis Jones and myself co-edited an architectural journal sort of starting at the end of university and post-university called Content. And that was great. We, I think we probably did that for about three or four years. And then uh, Richard Francis Jones, he was one of my tutors at university as right. well. And then later on, I actually worked with Richard at um, FJMT. It was MGT at the time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, worked with Lawrence. And uh, so Lawrence has gone from being, you know, my professor to being uh, a co-editor to being my boss to being my business partner to right. now being my, you know, a very close friend. So it's been a kind of particularly nice progression with that Lawrence, is nice. I think. It is yeah. interesting, those progressions through life, aren't they? Um, so that kind of leads us in a bit to what your journey has been um, following your graduation, which I understand was around 1994, is that right? And then It was, and I was yeah. reflecting back on the fact that in final year of university, um, we had the last six months of our university career, we all got in a computer room and we did one gothic cathedral drawing in AutoCAD and it was the first bit of computer training we had. So reflecting on where we've come in technology uh, from, you know, that very tiny little bit of technology integration we had just before leaving uni in 1994 to now is pretty amazing. It's interesting. So then, so your first job when you left... What, what was that at FJMT? No, so um, actually my first job was with Alex Popoff Architects oh. and um, I have to say I've been quite blessed through my whole career in that I've never actually had to have an official job interview. Maybe at some stage in the future I'm going to have to do one, but um, Alex was my final year uh, critic and he then offered me a position after I did my final presentation. So then I started to work for him and that was actually fantastic working for him and I did that for a couple of years. But he had a relatively small practice, which was an amazing place to start, but I kind of wanted to explore what a next step up size of practice would be like. And so then I kind of gave Richard a call and went and joined MGT, which is now FJMT. And they were only about 35, 40 people back then. So a much different practice. And uh, Romaldo Jurgler was still around. And then post that, I I then went to London for a while and joined BBN. So how long were you at Popov before going to um, MGT? About two years. Right. And what kind of projects did you, were they residential at Popov? Uh, Yeah, so with Alex it was primarily residential, mostly high-end residential. Um, But what was amazing about Alex and actually something that I, you know, I value so much was that he, um, his way of working was, I mean, we all did pencil drawings back then. I remember him sitting at the drawing board with me and saying, no, 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 you don't pull a pencil you always push a pencil and right. you know we it was really lovely but we we tended to work directly with a single builder so a lot of the straight away you know we were on site doing things and we were you'd just be drawing on the wall in the on the construction site and say no do, do this detail and let's do this leather thing here and so he absolutely instilled in me that respect for working with the contractors and with the builders and and forming that really um, collaborative and respectful relationship. And I think that is a really great lesson. And did you learn much from the business side of things as well during those early years? 
Actually, I think I did because even back then, and I was, you know, first year out of uni, I had never worked in an architectural practice before because I was too busy working in bars in London. But Alex actually gave me quite a lot of responsibility in the business. And I sort of remember being the pseudo business manager in the office at the time. So pretty quickly he sort of started. There was probably about six of us at the time. And I don't know, I just defaulted into organising things. So So you've always been kind of interested in the business side of things as well? Yeah, I think I probably have. It's definitely grown over the years, but maybe Mm. even in that little way, he recognised something in me back then that maybe I didn't even really recognise in myself. Out of interest too, what was the gender balance at that time in that office and in MGT? In Alex's office, I think I may have been the only girl. There might have been two of us, and his daughter was often around. Um, I mean, Alex had a lot of strong women in his life, so it never felt like there was a particular imbalance there. And certainly the builders that he worked with were super respectful, and I I never felt any issue about gender balance there. So to be honest, I can't even actually recall. And then at FJMT, equally, there was quite a few women there too. Um, There was Liz Carpenter was there when I was there, and she's now the managing director, I think. And Mm -hmm. um, there uh, there was only males in the principal role, but there were definitely like a mix of women within the practice. And what was the gender balance when you were at uni and studying at the time? 50, I think it actually my year was the first year that there was more oh. women than men oh, right. ever. Yeah. yeah. So we just tipped the balance. Yeah. And, um, so there was a lot of women graduate. serious about leading your architecture or design business, you can't afford to miss Peter Verwer at the Business of Architecture and Design Conference in Sydney on November the 11th. Peter will outline vital information on growth opportunities, give you insights into working with international clients and predict where your business opportunities lie over the next three to five years. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He thinks at a speed is just superhuman. That was Adam Haddo, Principal Director, SJB Sydney. If you run a business in the built environment industry, this keynote is essential. Register now at australiandesignreview.com. And so you started at BBN, did you say in London, actually? No, No, I actually started, no, I started here in Sydney and, and then I was at BBN in Sydney probably for can't quite remember, about three three or so years. And then I actually decided to take a little time off and took two years off, actually, and went and worked over in London. And then I came back to Australia and rode my horses for a while and travelled around Australia for about four months and lived on my sister's farm for about five months. So had a, had a really, had a couple of years out, which was actually amazing. Right. So not working in architecture during those years? No, I went to London and I did work for about a year with Richard Horden over in the UK. And Richard, he's just recently died, unfortunately, but he he's a really interesting guy who was slightly kooky. He was sort of out of the era of Foster and uh, Grimshaw and Rogers and very into um, tech tectonics and the approach of how you put things together but he you know was really into micro architecture and creating 
uh, sort of, he was kind of an inventor slash architect, really, right. and pretty interesting, interesting guy. And so that was that was a great experience as well. Hmm. Um, so but it was really good having that time off. And then when I was away, um, we had meanwhile set up our Melbourne studio, and then BBN got back in touch and said, "Do you want to come back? And can you come to Melbourne?" So right. that was the beginning of going back to Melbourne. Going to okay. Melbourne. And so at that time, you would have been in your mid twenties, is that right? When you kind of went travelling and took yes. a bit of time out. Yeah. Do you think that was important? for you to take that time out at that stage in your career? Yeah, I think that was great. I think if I would have taken that, I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, after, straight after school you should take time out, but I actually really loved going to uni and mm. it was some of the best, you know, we just had a great time. It was com- so much camaraderie and it was so hard that it all, you know, glued us together through yeah. how hard it was um, and how much we had to do and, and we were, you know, we were really made lifelong friendships through that. And I think if I would have... I don't know. I think it was actually quite good going to university straight away. For me, it was. Mm. Um, And it was, I kind of liked the fact that I progressed a bit more through things. And then it was a really good time to take take out being in that sort of mid-twenties. Did you take the time out because you were questioning your profession or what you wanted to do or where you were going? I think it was a bit of both. I do remember coming back from the north coast and I was with my boyfriend at the time and he was an architect as well and he'd just finished the the Renzo Piano building here and I'd just finished a project and we are both like, oh, God, we could really do with a bit of time out. And then we went, okay, well, why don't we both... So we both went in the next day and actually told our... (laughs) <laughs> respective <laughs> yeah. companies that we were we were out of here for a while and to be honest I actually resigned from BVN and right. because we didn't want to have any limitations of yeah. about what we were going to do and for how long but it was also really nice to come back. Um, Did you feel kind of burnt out was that it is well? like had you worked really long hours and I think I think you do have a bit of burnout definitely yeah. not as much burnout as you get by the time you're in your early 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say it's pre-burnout burnout. burnout. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The burnout you think you're having before you really know you're having burnout. No, um, but I I think there there certainly was a period of time for quite a long time where I was questioning, you know, did I want to be an architect or did I want to go and become a professional dressage writer or did I want to go and do something else? And I think I probably did have, you know, at least half a foot out of the camp for quite a long time. Didn't mean I wasn't sort of committed to what I was doing at the time, but I think I had more of the questioning that you're talking about back then, Uh certainly than I do now. So Um, BBN called you and said they were setting up the office in Melbourne and they wanted mm. you to go and join them. Mm. Did you hesitate much about that? No, well, I was coming, actually not really. I was coming back anyway and given the fact that I'll, I haven't done job interviews. I probably was secretly <laughs> trying to avoid that. No, I think I didn't really, after I'd spent those couple of years out, and you know, you, you live new and different experiences. You don't necessarily just want to go back to where you were because it feels like you kind of yeah. haven't made any progress in a way. Yeah. So the fact that actually I could go back to an organisation that I in fact loved but in a different way felt like a great thing to do. And did you have any hesitations about moving to Melbourne too? Having always... always... Not really, not at that time, except that I was living at Bondi and I was sort of really worried about the beaches and, you know, where was I going to live and what was it going to be like from a lifestyle perspective. But, no, overall, no. I mean, at that time I didn't have a lot of commitments to sort of worry about and Mm. own property and juggle children or anything like that. So, you know, you've got a level of freedom. And I think um, being able to move around is, is a fantastic 
thing to do if mm. you can and working in different environments as an architect is a great thing to do because, you know, you're always kind of picking up new seeds of knowledge and new cultural frameworks, um, understanding differences in cities and mm. um, place and people. And I think that's so important as an architect that you do. And if you've only got a singular view of that, I suspect that's quite hard to actually continue to do good work over a long period of time. What was the role that they um, asked you to have in the Well, I just came in as an architect. Okay. Um, and so I was just working as an architect. I didn't have a titled role. Mm -hmm. And then it was about, I think it was about a year and a half or two years later that then I became a principal. And at the time, um, six of us became principals at the same time. BVN had recognised that they needed to rethink the way they were doing succession planning. Uh, Actually, we're quite enlightened, I think, and it was a pretty brave move to make kind of a group of us principals all at once Mm. and invigorate the practice in that way. And so out of that group, I was the only one that went from being no title to being a principal. And so were you quite young as well at that time? I was about 32, I think. Yeah, okay. And what did that process involve in terms of becoming a principal as well or or them setting up that kind of succession plan and introducing new principles into Mm. practice? Well, it was actually really, I mean, and it's still our, uh, what they set up then is actually still how we've established it now. So it was was a really sort of substantial piece of work that they did to change the way the partnership was structured and to enable young people to come into it. Mm. We have always been a partnership of equal principals and equal owners. So a principal effectively at BVN is a shareholder Mm -hmm. and every principal is a full shareholder. So we have complete equity. They did what the the principals did at the time was change the way people were held accountable financially for the Mm. practice. So in the old days, if the practice went broke, you know, you lost your home and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. um, They changed all the company structure so that it became a more resilient structure. And then they set up, uh, you know, we have a mechanism set up where uh, you can do a stepped buy-in. So financially you can buy in through a a step process Mm -hmm. um, and the first amount of money that you need to buy in your first lot of shares um, is a a bank, can be a bank load that's guaranteed by the company. Right. you know, okay. as a young person, like like mm. I was at the time, I didn't have any savings. Like, there's no way I could have afforded to buy into a mm. partnership. Um, I didn't actually need to have any direct money. I could just take out that business loan, which was backed by the company, and then that um, that paid for my first tranche of shares. And then the dividends that I earned from that first tranche of shares paid for my second one, and the second, the dividend from the first and the second paid for the third, and so on. And then until you kind of reach your full shareholding. Right. But from day one, even when you only own uh, a portion of shares, you have full voting rights at BVN. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you're, as soon as you are, you become a principal, you are kind of enacting as a full principal, and you're, you know, in equal, you have equal decision making rights mm. and so on, which is a really important, I think, um, foundation of our culture. What's been the process then from being a principal through to becoming now a co CEO? And what's the difference? A lot of hard work, I think. <laughs> a lot of years. A lot of, no, I think um, the day that I became a principal, I remember, you know, all my sort of friends in the office went out for lunch and I didn't get invited. And so, you know, things changed. Like going yeah. from being sort of one of everyone to, in effect, being their boss, even though mm. we like to think of ourselves 
you know, more horizontally than that. Yeah. It's a big shift and there's a lot of things to learn in that new role that you you don't learn as an architect. Um, yeah, right. What sort of things? Well, mostly lots of people skills, yes. um, understanding how to manage people. You're all of a sudden elevated into a different role in a client's eyes as mm. well. Yeah. And that's a different kind of, in a sense, a different position that you play. We're still really engaged in the design processes and projects, but mm. nevertheless, people's perceptions change of you and your perception, your the way that you operate needs to be nuanced and it needs to evolve and mature. And mm-hmm. so for me, I think probably my journey from 32 to now has been a lot about, you know, me maturing personally, understanding more about myself, mm-hmm. completing a certain amount of work yep. um, so that you have a body of of knowledge and i think also uh, being mentored by you know the other principals and, mm. and other people in the practice and and through that process you you start to understand more about who you are what your own personal beliefs are um what you think is important in the world how we can have impact in things so I don't know, I guess, you know, to be, a, a, a in my case, a co-CEO, and my co is Neil Logan, who's in Brisbane, um, who's also uh, been a principal for quite a while at BBN as well, but you have to have a view about things. Mm. It takes a bit of time sometimes to shape what that view is. You might have a particular personal view and try and guide the practice that way, but we very much work in collaboration with all of the principals and the rest of the studio as well to shape up that view and to understand what's important to our clients but also what's important to all of us. To ensure your practice is ready to deal with the challenges that the industry will face in the next few years, register now at australiandesignreview.com for the inaugural Business of Architecture and Design Conference, which will be held in Sydney on Monday the 11th of November 2019. Thanks for listening to this episode. Join us next time to hear more about Ninochka Tichkotsky's journey through the Business of Architecture. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review, Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review and Niche Media, with thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organisations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralizes your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.